As we think about the Christmas season, Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. We're going to read down to verse 45. Just that little tract uh, of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, dealing with, of course, the annunciation uh, of the birth of Jesus. And uh, we want to pick up verse 39. And it says, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost and she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that thy, the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believeth, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Christmas time. Christmas time is, among other things, a time for traveling. Everywhere you look, people are on the move at Christmas time. The airports, the roads, the railways are all in overdrive with people making their way home to spend time with their families or perhaps for those who are fortunate enough, uh, others who are escaping uh, to the sun. And of course, on top of that, there's the whole Christmas shopping experience and the traffic congestion that comes with that. And we all know how that is at this time of year. When you go into the towns and the big cities, uh, you find that the uh, car parks are jam-packed and everybody's circling around trying to find that uh, one space and you have to get in early if you want to uh, beat those who are jockeying for spaces. So Christmas is often a time marked by coming and going, by toing and froing. And in some ways, the first Christmas was really no different. As we survey the pages of Scripture, we find that the characters around the Nativity story are constantly on the move. We think about Mary and Joseph. They move from Nazareth in the north of Israel all the way down to Bethlehem in the south of Israel. The shepherds are crossing the fields to see the Christ child. The wise men have traveled thousands of miles across the fertile crescent coming down into northern Israel and making their way down to Bethlehem to see him who is born king of the Jews. The angels are coming from heaven. Armies are being mobilized for the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem. And by the end of the story, Jesus' family is all on the move yet again, going from Bethlehem and heading off to Egypt, only ultimately to return back to Nazareth. It's one journey after another. There's constant movement in this particular tale. And as we approach Christmas, I want us to consider these Sunday mornings leading up to Christmas Eve, some of these great Christmas journeys. Some of these excursions were grueling journeys. Others less so, but all of them are full of lessons for life. And the first journey I want to think about this morning is a trip that Mary made on her own when she went to see her cousin Elizabeth. Now, both women 
are expecting babies. Both pregnancies have a miraculous element to them. Mary, of course, is a virgin and has conceived of the Holy Ghost. Elizabeth is up in the years, is past the the time of childbearing uh, physiologically, and yet with all she conceives John the Baptist in her womb. And, you know, I've noticed that uh, women and mothers in particular like nothing better, of course, than to talk about children and their children. And to talk when they, you know, sometimes I've seen women get together and as soon as one of them starts telling about her pregnancy experience, pretty soon the other ones are telling their pregnancy experiences and they're discussing all the fi- all the, uh, all the great, all the finer details of what went on that particular day uh, when they give birth. And so nothing would have been more natural, more predictable than that these two women would get together and that they would speak to each other about each of their pregnancies. Now, although the circumstances that led uh, to this journey from Mary's home to Elizabeth was peculiar to them, in a very real sense, it's a journey that all of us embark upon because we have a spiritual journey similar to that which these women faced. We're all traveling on a journey of faith. If you have trusted the Lord as your Savior, you've stepped on board that journey and you're heading toward the destination of glory. And within this text, there are details that you and I can draw out, make application of, that will be a help and I hope a challenge to every one of us as believers. Now, as Mary approached the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth, she had only just heard the angelic annunciation. She had just been told that she was pregnant and that she would conceive as a virgin and that the child that she would bear would be the Lord Jesus, the Son of the Highest, the Messiah. And no doubt she was confused at that news uh, and perhaps a little perplexed and a little anxious as to how that could be and what would be the outcome of it all. And God told her exactly where she needed to go at this point. He said, Behold, in verse 36, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, now listen to this, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Do you get that? With God, nothing shall be impossible. There's the challenge to our faith. There's the challenge to our faith. You know, sometimes we have a very small faith in a very great God. And really, we ought to have a great faith in a great God. And sometimes we should expect the impossible. And sometimes we should pray for the impossible. And certainly we should look for the impossible. And we, when we, particularly when we find ourselves in trying circumstances such as these women find themselves in. Now I'm quite sure that Elizabeth was more than happy to hear the voice of Mary at her front door. She lived alone with her husband. They had no children. And as much as she might have wanted to sit, sat down and had a good chat with Zechariah about their expected baby, she couldn't. And she couldn't talk to him uh, because he was struck dumb. Uh, she could talk to him, but she couldn't talk with him. He could not answer her. I guess that's every woman's dream, isn't it? Uh, but he couldn't answer her. He couldn't speak and enter into the conversation. And so, uh, you know, she's probably a little bit frustrated at not being able to converse with her husband. Let's go back and look at verses 18 through 20 and see how that happened. So in verse 13, an angel comes and tells Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth shall bear a son and they should call his name John. 
In verse 18, Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Now you think about these two characters, Zechariah and Mary, both of whom had similar experiences. They both had an angelic visitor. Both were told that they should expect a son. Uh, both were circumstantially unlikely to have had children. And yet both had their faith challenged. Now, Zechariah was very old. His wife, as I've said, was barren. She was unable to have children. She was past the point of childbearing. And no doubt they, as a couple, had uh, wanted us children. They'd wanted a son particularly. A son was very precious in Bible times. And I'm sure they had prayed to God for a son, for a child. But it wasn't to be. Until at last this angel appears and makes this annunciation to Zechariah as he's going about his business in the temple as a priest. And you know, sometimes it's hard to accept the challenge of faith. Let's go back to verse 13 again and look at verses 13 to 17 and see what happens in that particular incident. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. Now here was a man who was praying, evidently praying for a child, and thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son. So he was praying for the impossible, but he wasn't expecting the impossible. It says, And thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that was the challenge that came to Zechariah. And Mary had a very different challenge. Mary, of course, we know, was a virgin. She was pure. She was chaste. She was a very moral young woman. She uh, loved the Lord. She was saving herself for marriage with Joseph. She was looking forward, no doubt, to settling down and uh, settling into married life with her new husband and having children together in due course. But now she finds herself pregnant already before they've even gotten married. You know, sometimes God really messes with your plans. You ever notice that? You know, you have plans, you have an idea where you want to go, what you want to do, what, where you want to be, and God throws something into the mix, and he just messes up your plans sometimes. And you know, here's Mary, and that was the situation she was in. She's looking forward to being married. She's looking forward to normality. She's looking forward to life with her new husband, as any young woman would. And yet, now she finds herself pregnant. And how's this going to look? You know, who would believe her that she'd been miraculously impregnated? I mean, put yourself in her shoes. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You know, if your wife came home and told you that she was pregnant and you weren't the father, you'd automatically assume that she'd been unfaithful. You wouldn't assume that God had miraculously impregnated her. 
And if she told you that story, you'd probably raise your eyebrows and say, catch yourself on. That was the position she was in. She was stuck between a rock and a hard place. And no, no question, Joseph had his doubts. And who can blame him? So Mary had to rise to her challenge of faith. Look at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God onto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, I said this earlier, and I'm saying it again. Every now and then, in our lives, God does something. He steps into our lives, and he allows something to happen, and he introduces some circumstance or other, which is a challenge to our faith. Now, sometimes that can be a positive thing. It could be something such as a pregnancy, an unexpected baby. You know, many of us have had children that we weren't particularly planning to have, but they came along and they were a blessing to us. But maybe when that happened, when that realization that you were going to have this child uh, struck you, you realized, well, this is going to mess up our plans. You know, we'd planned to do this and we'd planned to do that and go here and go there. And now we've got we're going to have a new baby in the home. Or maybe, maybe, it was, maybe it's a, a call to ministry. You know, that messes up your plans. You have all, all kinds of ideas what you're going to do with your life. You know, I'm going to move up the corporate ladder. I'm going to uh, move up the, uh, up the stakes here in, 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 uh, in my business. And I'm going to get myself in a position, a management position, have a company car, have a nice salary, have all the perks that come with that. And then God speaks with your heart and says, no, I don't want you to have any of that. I'd like you to leave that all together and take a step by faith and just trust me and serve me and be a preacher someplace. Be a missionary or be a pastor. That messes with your plans. That really upsets your life. Or, or maybe it's a, it is a new job. Or an unexpected promotion. Suddenly you have new responsibilities. Yes, it's a blessing. It's a positive thing. Uh, but it's not what you were looking for. Maybe it's even a marriage proposal. You know, I remember a young woman came there. I shouldn't say a young woman. She was 40 years of age. Came to me and she says, Pastor, I, I would like to go full time doing door-to-door evangelism. And I said, great, that's great. I says, well, I says, but have you thought this through? I says, what, what happens if you get married? She says, oh, she says, I'm never going to get married. Six months later, she was married. Married a man she knew your whole life. <laughs> you don't know. God can throw a spanner in your works. You can have this plan, this idea, this is what I'm going to do. And God just comes along and throws something in there and says, here, deal with that. Could be a positive thing. Could be a negative thing. Could be ill health. 
Could be a case of you getting a call from the doctor tomorrow to tell you that the scan they took last week doesn't look so good and they want you to come in and, and now you're on to a whole course of treatment that you certainly weren't planning for a week or two ago. It could be a bereavement. That really messes up your life. You know, here you are, you have this person, this person you love, this person you live with, this person that you're devoted to, and suddenly they're gone and you're having to reshape your life. You're having to refine your feet and you're having to work out where your place is now in the world. It could be a broken relationship. It could be a husband who walks out the door or a wife who walks out the door. Suddenly you're looking at divorce or separation. You know, no Christian plans for that. You don't plan for divorce. You came to the altar, you said of your spouse that you would stay with them till death you depart. But sometimes these things go wrong and sometimes marriages go wrong and sometimes people walk away when they should stay and try to work things out. Maybe it's even a financial burden that comes upon you unexpectedly. You know, one day you're just going along, you're paying all your bills and everything's going well and then suddenly... A curveball comes your way, a financial curveball, and you don't have the money to take care of this particular need. And, and now you find that your business is struggling or you find that your finances are, are, are always scraping the barrel. You're having to deal with that challenge. Whatever it is and however we view it, we have to recognize in the day-to-day experiences of life the challenges to our faith. Almost daily we're called upon afresh to trust the promises and the wisdom of Almighty God. Every day something comes up that means we have to choose either to trust or not trust God, obey or disobey the Father. And it may be it may not be something as radical as Mary and Zacharias and Elizabeth experienced, but nevertheless we're called upon to draw upon our faith to address every new situation. Look at verse 18, and I want you to notice the contrast between Zechariah and Elizabeth, or Zechariah and Mary, sorry. Verse 18, it says, Zechariah said unto the angel, after he announces that they're going to have this child, John the Baptist, Zechariah says, Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. Verse 34, here's Mary's response. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now both parties had a question about their circumstances both of them had an inquiry that they wanted an answer to and both of them got a response from the angel but they were very different responses Zechariah didn't get the blessing of the angel he got a cursing he got struck dumb and Mary gets a blessing from the angel and you've got to say well well why is that well the reason for that is the difference in their Outlook, the difference in their attitude, the difference in their spirit. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking God a question. There's nothing wrong with saying to the Lord, I don't understand this, Father. Why is this happening? Or, you know, what, 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 what's going to happen here? How is this going to work out? There's nothing wrong with that. 
but it's to do with your heart and your spirit and your attitude. And sometimes we can question with a rebellious spirit or, a, or an unbelieving spirit or an arrogant spirit. Zechariah said this, Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife well stricken in years. You know what he was saying, really? He was saying, catch yourself on. How can this be? That's what he was saying. This was a, this was a statement of doubt. You know, uh, He's, he's probably shocked at this stage in his life at the prospect of being a new father. You know, I, I sent my wife away to Kenya with strict instructions to bring no babies back. I said, listen, I don't want to meet you at Dublin Airport with two babies on tow. She'd probably love that. <laughs> that would really mess with my plans. <laughs> it would also mess with immigration. But anyway, um, but, but we'll put that to the side. Um, but, but here's the thing, you know, he's probably thinking, what? what in the world? A baby? My age? Get a grip. My wife's not going to have a baby. Have you looked at her? You know, she's an old lady. She's not, she's not some young girl who's, who's just ready to conceive it. Any- no, 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 we're past all that. We're, we're done with that. We're, we're moving toward retirement here. We're looking forward to a quiet life together. The thought of suddenly having cuts and proms and, and nappies and all those things around us, that's as far from us as, as you can possibly think. Mary, on the other hand, she asked her question, but it wasn't a question out of unbelief. It was a question out of confusion, not doubt. She said, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? In other words, how's this going to be done? She was naturally curious. She wanted to be reassured that the thing was of God. She said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. She said, if God has said that, well then I'll accept that. If God is telling me that, I'll, I'll submit to that. And so there was a difference in spirit that separated these two characters. And yet if we examine their backgrounds, now think about this. Zechariah ought to have been the one who trusted, whilst Mary would have been the one forgiven if she had stumbled. Say, well, what do you mean? Well, Zechariah was a priest. He was a minister. He was a man of God. He was also older, considerably older than Mary, And he should have known better than to question the angel in the way he did. Of the two, Zechariah's case was the least impossible. Admittedly, his wife was past childbearing years. And it seemed highly unlikely that she would conceive. But it wasn't entirely impossible that she could conceive. Whereas Mary was a virgin. She had never lay with a man. And so there was no possibility of her conceiving under normal circumstances. But here was a man who was a spiritual leader and a priest ministering in the temple, serving God when the angel appears. Mary's just a young girl. She's just a peasant girl, a Jewess from Nazareth. What knowledge had she of prophecy or of the Messiah? She probably had a very limited education. They didn't educate girls in Bible times. Education was given to men, and particularly to men who were involved in the priesthood. So of these two, Zechariah should have been the one that accepted the truth, whereas Mary is the one we could forgive for stumbling at the truth. And and sometimes you have to be surprised how immature some believers are who ought to know better. 
You'd be surprised at how immature some, some believers are who ought to know better. You know, there's people who are saved and saved for a long time, and yet they act and react like infants in the faith. You know, Paul had that problem. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's writing to this church. And, and really there's very little in, in Corinthians to the, in this letter to the church at Corinth that's, that's commendable. There's very little that Paul has to say to them that is in any sense positive. But we see, the, we see even here in this passage the reason why that Paul uh, couldn't be more upbeat with this church. And notice he says to them, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you. Notice the signs of carnality, envying and strife, argument and divisions. He says, are you not carnal and walk as men? There's the indications of our carnality. You know, we think about carnality as people out drinking and carousing and carrying on in the world. No, carnality is witnessed in the church by means of envying and strife and division. When Christians can't get along with each other, when Christians take their toys and go home, don't want to play anymore, that's babyhood, that's infancy. That should be beyond you at a certain stage in your Christian life. You should be able to get over things. You should be able to forgive people. You should be able to let go. You should be able to minister grace. Paul says, I really wanted to feed you with meat, but I'm having to feed you with milk. I'm having to go back to baby stuff. When I pastored at Bray Hill Baptist Church, the church there was an old spar shop that had been bought over for the purposes of a church. And the people who lived in that neighborhood said that the pulpit was exactly where the milk counter used to be. They used to say to me, Pastor, you realize you're preaching from the milk counter? No, sorry, they used to say, that was the meat counter. You say, Pastor, you preach from the meat counter, and I would say that's better than preaching from the milk counter. But here was Paul wanting to preach from the meat counter. And he was having to preach from the milk counter. He was having to hand feed these little ones. He was having to treat people who should know better like they were little children. And friends, that's, if, you're a, if you're a Christian saved any length of time and strife and envy and, and division is still in your heart, you need to grow up. You need to grow up. You need to learn to disagree agreeably. You need to learn to treat people with love and grace and compassion and be Christ-like. And it's sometimes the case that the faith of young Christians and new believers outshines those of their elders. You know, I love being around new Christians. It's exciting. New Christians are a breath of fresh air. New Christians are excited about their faith. New Christians are witnessing Christians usually. New Christians are enthusiastic about getting to church. New Christians can't wait. But all of that wears off sometimes when we get older in the faith and sadly we settle for carnality. You know, sometimes, you know, it's the case that the faith of the younger Christians just really embarrasses the older Christian. And sometimes even in life, 
You know, children embarrass their parents, don't we? They disgrace their parents uh, through their, their simple faith and love for the Lord. You think about children. What happens when children fall out? Two children have an argument. Say they're out today in Sunday school, there's two children have an argument over, over a, a marker or something. They have a squabble, you know, they're pulling it back and forth. It's mine, it's mine. The Sunday school teacher steps in and rebukes them. What happens at the end of Sunday school? They all, the two of them go out into the car park and have it out. They say, I'm never speaking to you again. It's forgotten. By the end of that Sunday school class, that little dispute is forgotten. But you take adults. I remember when I was a teenager, coming across two men in the street who were fighting in a neighborhood nearly our neighborhood. And these two men were out in the street and they were trying to go at each other. And all the neighbors had grabbed them and were restraining them. And myself and there was two other boys who we were teenagers. We said, come on, go down and see what's going on. So we went down and these two men are like trying to, trying to fight each other back and forth, you know. And uh, the one fellow says, one of the neighbors says to one of the men he's restraining, now, Billy, Billy, easy on. What did he do on you? What did he do on you? Are you ready for it? Here's what Billy said. He poked me. <laughs> he poked me. What were these two men fighting about? They were fighting about their children squabbling. Their children had a squabble and that somehow boiled over into them having a squabble and one man poked the other man and the man who was poked decided that he would have a fist fight. He'd have a punch up as a consequence. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you think those two men got on in the neighborhood from that point on? Probably scowled at each other every time they saw each other. Dirty looks. Or looking away. What do you think happened with the two boys? They were fighting over. I'll tell you what happened. At the end of the fight, the two boys laughed, walked off together and went and played football. Sometimes children embarrass us. Sometimes children put us to shame. Sometimes children have pearls of wisdom that, that come from lips that are so young and uh, rather than old. You know, I, I read a little article about some of the things that, silly things that children say. And I thought, you know, they, they made me smile. But, you know, there's one boy, Patrick, aged 10, said this, never trust a dog to watch your food. <laughs> That's wisdom. That's childhood wisdom. Another boy said this, Michael, aged 14, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid to you? Don't answer him. Sarah said, when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> I remember watching my wife brushing our kids' hair. She was mad at me and the kids were screaming. You know. Blake, is 12, says, don't, don't sneeze in front of your mom when you're eating a biscuit. <laughs> That's good advice. That's wisdom. And Michael said, never tell your mom her diet's not working. That's also wisdom. Look back in Matthew chapter 11 for a moment. Matthew chapter 11. I want you to see something the Lord Jesus said. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Notice what the Lord Jesus says. He says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. 
In other words, God had shown things to people that you wouldn't expect him to show things to. And those who should have known the things of God somehow missed the truths. And that's the contrast we see in the nativity account in Luke. You have the faithlessness of Zacharias, who should have known the truth, and the faith of Mary. It was a man versus a woman, an elder versus the, the younger, the leader versus the follower. I wonder where we come out in that equation when we're faced with challenges. I wonder where our faith sits when we find ourselves in circumstances that we're ill-prepared for. I want you to go back to Luke, and I want you to see in verse 45 the certainty of faith. Luke chapter 1, verse 45. says, and blessed is she that believeth. This is Elizabeth speaking of Mary. And blessed is she that believeth, believe, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now it's been six months since the angel spoke with Zacharias. And as Mary greets Elizabeth, a strange thing happens. The unborn child, John, leaps in the womb with joy at the presence of Mary and the unborn Christ uh, in, his pre- in, in, his, in his home. And he hears the sound of Mary's voice, and this child responds. Now that tells you something about the unborn child. You know, people have you believe that what goes on in the womb is nothing but a chemical mess of cells. Friends, there's a, there's a human being in the, room, in the womb. Here's John as a baby, as an unborn child, responding to something that was going on outside the womb. And it's a matter of fact that uh, you can influence your, your newborn baby uh, by signs outside the womb. You're advised in, in some instances to play soothing music uh, when you're pregnant uh, so as to calm the child and uh, so that the child will be uh, a calm and rested baby when he or she uh, comes out. But uh, here's the thing. Uh, this unborn child leaps at the sound of this voice, the voice of Mary. And immediately Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and she begins to prophesy upon Mary. And by the Spirit of God, she reveals that the baby that Mary is holding uh, in her womb is the Lord. This is the mystery of incarnation. Notice she says, uh, Blessed is she that believes, uh, for there shall be a performance of those things which are told her from the Lord. And uh, she refers in verse 43 to Mary as the mother of my Lord. She says, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now notice, I want you to be very careful here. She does not say of Mary that she's the mother of God. That's really important. Nowhere in all of the word of God is Mary ever referred to as the mother of God. Of God. You see, Mary uh, was, uh, while she supplied the humanity of Christ, did not supply the deity of Christ. God is eternal, He has no mother, He has no creator. There's none greater than He. 
And, you know, you think about it, Jesus himself is eternal. And he, uh, as far as his deity goes, has no mother. So Mary supplied the humanity of Christ, the flesh and blood of Christ, but not the deity of Christ, not his divinity. And so we have to be careful not to deify Mary, to give her this divine presence, this divine role, uh, to make her the uh, fourth person of the Trinity. No, that's not acceptable. In her celebration of Mary's conception, Elizabeth makes a statement which is true for every Christian in every age. She says, Blessed is she that believeth, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. She's saying that the promises of God are good, that the promises of God will come to pass. She's saying that as a statement of certitude, everything that God says is true. Everything that the Word of God says is true. If God makes you a promise, his promise is true. If God promises to forgive your sin and to save your soul because you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, get this, he will forgive your sin and save your soul when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If God promises to bless your life as a consequence of obedience, then your life will be blessed as a consequence of obedience. God always keeps his promises. Every promise is true. And it's all very well for me to say that. It's all very well for you to hear that and to acknowledge the truth of it. But the real test of it comes when there are challenges in our lives. When our hearts are breaking. Can we trust God to be the God of all comfort? You see, that's where our faith comes in. That's where, as the Americans say, the rubber meets the road. At that point, can I, can I draw on the Lord and on his comfort? When our supplies are low, can we trust God for his provision? Can we trust God to meet my needs? You see, here's the thing. A life of faith isn't just for missionaries in far-flung corners of the world. A life of faith is for you and I sitting here on these pews at, at Points Past Baptist Church. We're to trust God for our daily bread. We're to trust God for our provisions. We fall into sin. Can we accept that the hand of God has forgiveness and agree with him that we are forgiven and accepted in the beloved? When some burden of life is getting us down, do we have the faith to cast that burden upon the Lord and to leave it there, believing he shall sustain us? That's the reality. That's the challenge. You see, everybody in those moments has an option. It's either faith or faithlessness. It's trust or mistrust. We can choose to be a, a Zechariah or we can choose to be a Mary. And many of us will go through life dumb because of our unbelief. Never have a praise, never have a blessing to share because God is withholding his blessings because we're unwilling to trust him for what looks to us to be sometimes the impossible. Others face life like Mary. She went to Elizabeth perplexed. She came away rejoicing. She went for comfort. She came away with confirmation. And the difference between those two states is a matter of faith. What God promises he can do, what he said he will do. Now the incredible challenge that comes to us from this first Christmas 
journey is faced in the truth that God will always do what he says he will do. You know, the word difficult does not exist in God's vocabulary. It exists in our vocabulary. Sometimes things look difficult. Yeah, sometimes they do look impossible. But those words don't exist in God's vocabulary. They're unknown to him. Now, for our part, we have a choice. We have the choice of Zechariah or the choice of Mary for our pattern. And I wonder this morning, are you facing some difficult circumstance in life? I wonder this morning, are you facing some personal challenge that's come your way? I wonder this morning, has God messed with your plans in some sense? You know, I wonder if there's a difficult task that has confronted you in your life that seems so insurmountable that you just want to cry out in frustration and exasperation. Which word from God is it that you doubt? That's the issue. Which word from God is it that you doubt? Here's a journey of faith. Will you be a Zechariah along the way or will you be a Mary? May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this morning.